Welcome to the Rosedale Bible College Chapel Podcast. We hope you are challenged and inspired by today's message. Enjoy. Good morning. Okay, this may be a dangerous way to open the chapel talk, but I know it's not you and I know you're up to it. So what we're going to do, I want you to close your eyes. Yeah, you have, don't sleep, just close your eyes. I want you to think about something, not a person, rather an activity, something that is central life. It has to be something really, really want to be good at, something that you care a lot about, something that you work hard at. I'm going to give you a second for that, and you've got to just raise your hand to keep Some of you are still working on this. I know you know. All right. I'm going to take your hands as an honor. Um, okay, so keep your eyes closed. Now I want you to think about somebody. Who, oh, you can put your hands down. Guys. Sorry. <laughs> I don't have that down. <laughs> I want you to think of somebody who cares about the same things as you, who has similar goals and dreams. But the thing about this person is they seem to be doing better than you at reaching those goals. Maybe even a lot better. So much better, in fact, that when you compare yourself with them, you start to believe that you're total failure. Okay, you've got that one. Oh, boy. And you've got, oh, I'm glad, in a sad way. Keep that person in your mind. And don't forget where you went with them. Okay, you can open your eyes up now. We'll be coming back to you. That was not a vain exercise. For now, I'd like to read a passage that has come up at different times in my life, in different settings, with different effects. It's from the beginning of John 21. So just listen with me. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, 
they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I'd like to highlight three times this passage has hit me in life. The first was way back in the day. Uh, Reuben and I were, had not been married very long, maybe had one baby. Um, we were in contact with a family of Wycliffe Bible translators in Ivory Coast, Africa. The wife and mother of this family, Nancy, wrote to us and was just delighted that we were in touch with them. She said they'd never had supporters who were so artistically inclined. Me as a writer, Reuben as a rock musician, and that was the part that really got her because she was from a very conservative Christian background. This was not in her experience, but she was open-minded. And she said, so why do you guys like rock and roll? Well, I wrote back, and I used John 21 to answer. I wrote to her, I said, Nancy, you know when Jesus tells Peter about how when he's older he'll stretch out his hands? and someone else will dress him and lead him where he does not want to go? As in, Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. And Peter looks back at the disciple Jesus loved and says, wait, Lord, what about him? And Jesus doesn't go easy on Peter. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, 
What is that to you? You must follow me. What is that to you, Peter? You must follow me. That, I told Nancy, is a rock and roll response to Peter's question. Concise, unadorned, true. Rock and roll Jesus all the way. It's why I love rock and roll then and now. Before we move on to my second encounter with this passage, let's just take a minute to think about Peter on that beach. Remember, at this point, the disciples' heads were just spinning. They didn't know, like we know now, looking back, they did not know how this was all going to play out. Jesus died. Whoa, but here he was again. He came back. Hey, maybe that will happen to us too. They just didn't know. Well, that kind of speculation did not last long for Peter. At least Jesus told him that he would be old when he died, but Jesus told him he just flat out gave him his future. That had to be really hard. Poor Peter. A really big piece of news to get delivered, right? And wouldn't you know, Jesus did not say the same thing would happen to John. John, his obvious favorite. This is me imagining what Peter might have thought when he said, Lord, what about him? Poor Peter. Okay, just wanted to spend some time on Peter. The second experience with this passage happened when Reuben and I and our boys moved to Alabama to pastor a little church in Mobile. I was asked to give a short introductory talk about who I was and why I was there. I landed on John 21, only this time my focus was on the first part of the passage. I felt strongly, and I don't think I was mistaken, that Reuben and I were at a point of going fishing, and we were looking forward to hearing Jesus tell us what to do, to throw out the net on the other side of the boat, to pull in all those big fish, to eat breakfast on the beach with Jesus, who'd made the breakfast. My little talk was upbeat and well-received. Now, before I tell you about my third and most recent encounter with this passage, I need to fill some things in. From the time I was very young, younger even than you, I knew some things I wanted. I dreamed of finding true love. I dreamed of being a writer. I knew I wanted to travel the world. I found you, love. He's sitting right over there. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I've been able to write and be read and even be paid for it. And I have traveled the world. Later, rather than earlier in my life, I also realized I really wanted to be a mother. And I'm so grateful for our three babies who are now grown men. We lived in the South in Mobile for 13 years. Everybody calls their adult children babies. I love that. Anyway, I am, well, I do. It's gentle. Okay, let's get back on track. So it would seem, would it not, as though I've been unusually fortunate in being able to realize my dreams? And I have. And yet, all the way through my life, I have fallen prey to something which has stolen my joy. And even though it's been a corrosive force in my life and nothing to laugh at, I'm going to illustrate it, Matt, <laughs> with a cartoon that always makes me laugh. So, Matt, there it is. 
I don't know that you can read it, but I'm going to describe it. The cat on your left is standing there or sitting there, as cats do with a sort of catly face. And he's got a huge dead rat at his feet. And he's looking over at this little cat on the right who's downcast and sad and looking down at his tiny little mouse that he caught. And the text is, comparison is the thief of joy, mittens. So comparison is the thief of joy is from Teddy Roosevelt, as far as I can tell. Uh, but the mittens is all the cartoonist, Julia Suits. The whole thing is made by the mittens, in my opinion. But anyway, how great is this cartoon? This says so much. So, all the way through my life, I've compared myself to others. And I did it for a lot of reasons, not all of them bad. I was perfectionistic. I wanted to do everything right. And you can't figure out whether you're doing things right unless you look around you and see how other people are doing them, right? And you do need role models. But in my case, things got distorted. Sometimes I compared myself to others to prove I was better than them, maybe even the best at what I was doing. Somewhere along the line, I bought into the lie that if you're not the best at something, then you're not much at all. And it didn't take me long to figure out I was not the best at a lot of things I cared about. So then I compared myself to others more selectively. I chose people who were clearly not doing as well as me and thought, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Now I'm looking around and I'm thinking, oh, surely not you guys. You would never do something like that. You know, so maybe I'm just talking to myself, maybe. Often I did this comparison to beat myself up. And this has been with me my whole life. Even as an adult, I would look around at others and set them up. Oh, there's the perfect Christian family. They do everything right. Oh, that's the per perfect Christian wife, her lucky husband. Or, oh, the best Christian mother. Look how well she does. Look at her kids. These people that I was setting up, they always did things better. They behaved more selflessly. They had more money. Sadly, they had more fun. It's a big deal for me if you have more fun. I, I like fun. So I thought to myself, God must love them best. I realized this was wrong. I thought, they caught the bigger rat. I just had a shrimpy little mouse. I knew this was skewed. I know it's skewed. I knew it was destructive. But when you're struggling, and it looks like you're failing at all the things you care about most, the world can look like this. Your mind does all sorts of things to you when you let it go down this road, especially if you're naturally competitive, which I am. And now we're going to lighten the mood because I'm going to tell you a funny Fitbit story. You guys know what Fitbit is? It's that little device you wear on your arm, and it tracks your steps. And back in the day, I had one of those. And you could invite people to be your online friend, and you'd compete with them for steps. Now, knowing me, I avoided that like the plague. However, in a moment of weakness, I agreed to let my pastor, I thought, surely, my pastor, my pastor, Rob Swartz, sign on as my friend. This was not a good move. <laughs> I tended to obsess on it, 
but I was in denial until the night Reuben came in before bed and found me standing beside the bed, but not just standing. I was there furiously stomping in place. <laughs> Vicky, he said, what are you doing? I'm crushing Rob Swartz. <laughs> Now, in a, in, yes, you can relate. <laughs> in a weird way, this episode is healthier than what I usually do because at least in the crush Rob Swartz scenario, there's room for me to win. Okay, so <laughs> I'm glad you, a little nervous about why you're laughing so much there, but okay. <laughs> now, at this point in my life, I am much more likely to center on my abject failure at everything, because a lot of the evidence is in at my age. All the ways I've failed as a wife, as a mother, there is no end to that one. A writer, a Christian, it's exhausting. It steals my joy. Why do I do it? I'm not going to tell you why, because that's like a deep and winding rabbit hole, and we'd be here all day. And I haven't figured it out but I can tell you what I do about it when this comes upon me. I go back to my old friend, rock and roll Jesus, and he will look me in the eye and with all love say, if I want her to experience unclouded joy as a mother, what is that to you, Vicki? If I want him to win the Pulitzer Prize, or even just get his book published. What is that to you, Vicki? You must follow me. And I know this doesn't answer all the questions. It does not actually make dealing with loss and failure and disappointment an easy thing at all. But it does recenter me on Jesus and his love and his clear-eyed truth-telling and that's enough to bring me a measure of peace. Now, you remember the exercise at the beginning? And remember? Okay, close your eyes once again. This time, I want you to stand in front of Jesus in your mind and show him the person you envy. Show him how comparing yourself to that person makes you feel. Take a minute with this. Let yourself be honest about how you feel and what you think. And now, hear Jesus' words. He says them in perfect love. What is that to you? You must follow me. And do something more. Pray a blessing on that person and all their gifts and all the ways God can use them. Take a minute on this.
Now look at Jesus again and ask him to help you. Help you to stay on the path he wants you to follow, the path he's prepared for you to take. Keep your eyes closed and pray with me. Jesus, you are so beautiful, but the path you've called us to walk is not always easy. We find ourselves taking our eyes off you and what you're calling us to do. We get confused. Please help us to keep coming back to you. Help us to follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Open your eyes and go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And check out our other podcast series from our website at rosedale.edu slash podcasts. God bless you and have a good day.